Hello, and welcome to the Bald Explorer podcast. And for those of you that are counting, this is episode six. My name's Richard Vobes, and I am the Bald Explorer. And this is a podcast that supports the videos that I make on YouTube and Facebook. You can find me by putting in Richard Vobes into YouTube or Facebook, or indeed the Bald Explorer. Let's see what's on today's show. On today's show, I talk to Gary Baines, the chairman of Shoreham Fort where we have a walk coming up on the 27th of January. You are invited. If you fancy a stroll along the Shoreham Longshore Drift, having a look at some of the zany architecture, some of the historic houseboats that are down there, and also an old church that was the only surviving building that wasn't blown up in the Second World War as part of the defence measures, and a stroll along the new boardwalk, back to Shoreham Fort. And if you are one of the Bald Explorer walkers, you get a free tour of Shoreham Fort. Shoreham Fort is in West Sussex, down there on the coast. We talked to Gary Baines and he tells us a little of the history of Shoreham Fort and how he got involved as a youngster. Also, I'm enthusing about carrying lightweight equipment. I'm going to tell you about one of my new purchases and the wonders of filming on a DSLR in the country. There's the book of the week, of course. And the senior management team got together earlier today and had a meeting about the Bald Explorer. Just who are the senior management team and what do they do? That's all coming up in today's show. So let's kick off with young Gary Baines, the chairman of Shoreham Fort down in West Sussex, and find out more about him and how he got involved with the historic monument. Hello, Gary. Hello, Richard. Now, Gary is on the show because the Bald Explorer is having a meet-up um, and I suppose better put, we're having a walk. We like a good walk on the old Bald Explorer. They all watch me doing it, going galloping across the countryside. But we're going to have a meet up. And one of the walks we're doing on the 27th of January, I think it is, is we're starting at Shoreham Fort, where Gary works and is the head honcho there. Um, and we're going to have a little walk around the... Um, the Shoreham Beach, the historic Shoreham Beach. So, Gary, welcome to my podcast. Thank you. Um, tell us what you do at Shoreham Fort well, and, and what Shoreham Fort is, for those that don't know. OK, well, Shoreham Fort is one of the last... Well, it is the last fort of its kind in the country. It was built in 1857 as a prototype for all of our Palmerston forts around the country. So a huge asset to Shoreham Beach and one that you're gladly going to come and see. My role there is that I'm the founder and the chairman of the charity. I actually started researching the fort at the age of 14, so this year is my 25th year researching it. Blimey. Blimey, yeah. That is a long time, isn't <laughs> it's it? It's a very long time, yeah. And and how is, the, I guess, you know, 25 years, is there still more to find? 
Oh, there's always more there's to always, find. With yeah. history, you never get to the bottom of it. You're no. always finding more things out. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So um, Shoreham, for those that aren't in West Sussex, is right down on the coast, isn't it? And it's a it's an important port. It is, yeah. Um, Between Worthing and Brighton. Yeah. yeah. And um, famously, I think uh, we were discussing before we came and into the studio to record this bit, uh, Charles II fled during um, the end of the English Civil War and caught a boat uh, from Shoreham when he, before he became king, because he came back in to be king uh, a few years later. But um, he uh, he went into exile um, from Shoreham. Uh, but allegedly. I think, allegedly, but <laughs> I think that was um, before your fort, because your fort dates from, when did you say? 1857. 1857. Yeah. And there was a threat back then, wasn't there? There was, from the French, Napoleon III. Oh, yeah. yeah. Nasty chap. Very not, much. Not the, not the Napoleon that we all think of with the with the arm and the whatever we think of him. The no, small bloke. No, this is his Waterloo. nephew. It's his, his nephew. nephew. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> so it sort of ran in the family then, did it, with the Napoleons? It appears so. It <laughs> appears so, yeah. He wasn't such a nasty man, though, because he's actually buried in the in the British Isles. So, oh, is uh, he? Yeah, he is now. Oh, so, right. Yeah. Oh, OK. That's, that's yeah. good. Uh, <laughs> but there was this definite, um, definite threat... Uh, from from them, but they never came, did they? They didn't. No, no. there was a, a spy sent to Shoreham Fort, um, and we've had that confirmed by the Palmerston Fort Society. He looked at the design of the fortification at Shoreham and actually sent uh, a message to Napoleon saying, "Don't bother attacking England. Go inland," which is what he later did, starting the Franco-Prussian War. Ah, yeah. Don't come because the fort design was so good. It, Apparently, yeah. 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 And and because the fort, for those that haven't seen these sort of forts, it, they're low-lying, aren't they? So if you're on a boat approaching, you don't necessarily see it. No, that's right. That's how it's built. It's made to look obsolete, like a 1760s gun battery. But then with the South Downs behind us, we turn invisible if yeah. you're only half a mile out to sea. So. Yeah. Oh, yeah. wow. Uh, you've got great plans with the fort because there's a whole load of potential reconstruction work subject to, I guess, funding yeah. from, you know, all sorts of places, presumably. Yeah. Now, we are coming, uh, the walkers of the Bald Explorer group are coming, yeah. and uh, you've been very kind and instrumental in drawing up a route for us to take. And I thought we'd just spend a couple of uh, minutes talking about this route because Shoreham Beach um, is an unusual place and it's always been a bit unusual, hasn't it? It's this sort of spit of shingle that's been washed to, from where the original, I think the original, what is it, the Ada, isn't it? Yeah. Came out and over time all this shingle beach was sort of formed by the force of the waves yeah correct me if i'm wrong it's a, it's a joint force of the river and the longshore drift of the sea there you yeah. go the longshore drift which that's is it. there's a pub down there called the longshore isn't there, there is somewhere yeah. around there yeah. oh, that's interesting the longshore drift there you go there we go i'm learning something <laughs> about time um so yeah so you've got this shingle sort of beach which nothing really was going on for a long long time no and then people started to live there yeah that's right well fishermen started by building their huts and then people came along and thought well if we elaborate on that slightly we could start building homes so they dragged things over like railway carriages to build into houses uh, because of the cost 
A railway carriage was about £10 each, so two of those side by side with a fiver for a roof made you a, a two-bedroom house. Wow. Yeah, so it was a, a very bohemia place. Yes. Um, yeah, and a lot of the movie stars used it. And in fact, the first film studio was started at Shoreham Fort and then moved down to the other end of the beach, which is what you'll be visiting um, on that day. So Shoreham Fort was in an in existence but derelict, and that little land is where they did they set up some film studios is that right it wasn't derelict at that time there was someone living in the fort when they built the studio yeah um but in 1914 francis lindhurst who was nicholas lindhurst's grandfather the famous actor uh he set up the first film studio inside the fort wow yeah (laughs) part of the reason for that was that uh they were using canvas backdrops so they needed the sunlight so they needed to be outside for these new cameras and of course if you put canvas outside Wind travels across it, causing a ripple effect. Uh So that would ruin the shot. So where better to put a canvas backdrop than in a fort that's got high ramparts and the Barrett Block buildings behind it as well to stop that ripple. To stop the ripple, but you've still got the lovely clean sea air. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, And so, as you say, the various houses along that um, shingle beach started to uh, be erected. Um, And then the war came. Yes, and that was that's an interesting period. <laughs> Tell us about the 48-hour notice. Well, this is during the Second World War, so right. they, they believed that the Germans would come across, billet their troops in these bungalows, freshen the troops up, feed them, before then uh, moving forward and attacking mainland Britain. So the government decided that they would actually blow up a majority of the bungalows and gave everyone 48 hours' notice to vacate. They were only allowed to take personal defects, so whatever they could carry in their bag is what they could take with them. That was it. Good heavens. A 48-hour notice. That's it. It's amazing, isn't it? You'd think that... that, that, So do you think that was a rushed thought that the government suddenly thought, oh, all those people sitting in these houses, we've got to get them out? Or that's just the way the military work. We've made a decision, give them 48 hours and we do it. I don't think it was necessarily rushed, but I don't think the uh, residents found out until the last minute. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You you told me about uh, a, a piano that was being shifted. That's Just, right. Yeah, tell yeah. me that story again. Well, there was a lady that still lives on the beach. Her mum had a, a grand piano, and these soldiers were helping her by moving the piano out of the house, and they got it upright and in the front doorway. And their leading officer came over and said, there's no way you're taking that. It's supposed to be personal effects only. And the soldiers, bless them, turned around and said, well, we've got it this far, sir. With all due respect, we're getting it out. And that lady kept her piano. Good God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what what an amazing story. And um, now if we walk, when we do walk uh, on the on the trip, and of course, if anybody else is in the area and wants to go and have a look, of course they can. They'll also see the same stuff. Um, there are still a few of the old, well, at least two of the old railway cottages that have railways in them. Although you've really got to know that you're looking at those because from the outside you it blink and you you know you wouldn't see it, would you? No, unfortunately not. Um, but they're worth seeing all the same. There are yeah. only two railway carriage bungalows set left, like you said. But there's still the other pantomime cottages, as they were known, because uh, they have pantomime names. Um, oh did they yeah so they're still um, available to see and we'll hopefully map out a route that you can see as much as possible along the beach on that day and now like when the fishermen 
had um, had their cottages removed and the people had come in and did bigger and more plush cottages back in the what in the early 1900s or whatever today you can see modern architects have designed some quite wacky uh, types of property and large and as i think you described as wedding cake type properties yeah the residents do describe them as wedding cakes they look like three tiers um so they're very very wacky buildings and like you say one plot of the old bungalows is taken on and then two houses are built on that plot so it's starting to become a squeeze over there now yes they're maximizing their investments aren't they definitely like everywhere but um, the interesting thing is that once you get round, you get back onto the beach, uh, there's a new boardwalk That's right, that yeah. goes along the beach, yeah. and it's um, a, a, a nature reserve, That's that, right. that stretch of beach. Yeah. What sort of things can you see on there? I mean, There's a lot of uh, plants on there that are very quite rare. Um, you've got a lot of different birds as well um there's lots to see to be honest yeah um if you pick up one of the leaflets for the friends of shoreham beach before you leave then you'll see some of the plants that are on that beach as well so you can do a bit of plant and bird spotting that's it yeah and no doubt see the it depending on the weather the rampion can you see the rampion you can stuff? indeed yeah the the wind turbines the wind turbines yeah yeah, yeah you can uh, indeed uh, i might take a rifle with me and take potluck on, <laughs> <laughs> on those they are quite a distance um before we go, there, there's an interesting story about the church, um, which we're going to get round to. We're also taking in the houseboats, aren't we? You the, are indeed, yeah. The famous houseboats. And there's boats there from all sorts of different types of um, occupation and um, duties that they were did from from the Second World War, obviously, yeah. um, and all sorts of weird boats that have been chopped about a bit and played around with that's um, it decommissioned and yeah, yeah taken on as houses taken on and and i don't know how many there are but there's quite a a, a large number of them well, it certainly is and you need to look out for the one that's got a coach built on top of it oh really yeah <laughs> fantastic <laughs> very artisan the whole place so it you may is. have the wacky modern uh houses with the, uh, the the sort of very now architectural features that look like wedding cakes and then you have the very bohemian houseboats yeah. where people are artistically using whatever they can get hold of including old coaches old coaches yeah <laughs> blimey yeah <laughs> and some of them I mean, they have open days, don't they? It probably won't be open when we go, but I remember some years ago, about 10 years ago, going down there on an open day and people would open up their their homes on these houseboats and you'd walk around and go, wow, this is amazing. Yeah, they still do it as part of the Heritage Open Days in September and a couple of them, I believe, are Airbnbs as well. Good heavens. Oh, wow. That'd be lovely. Lovely to stay on an Airbnb on the Shoreham houseboats. There you go. Why not? And then finally, we, uh, well, halfway round on on the actual walk, we we come to the church. Now, that church is uh, quite interesting because... It wasn't one of those buildings that was blown up during the Second World War and given 48 hours notice. Tell us about that. That's right. Well, local legend has it that there was actually three soldiers in there kneeling and praying at the time that the men came in to demolish it. So with that, they decided that the soldiers needed somewhere to pray and they didn't demolish that church. Gosh. Yeah. It's interesting because it makes you wonder if that was today and we were having to do the same thing with the secular society that we're in, would we just get those blokes out and blow up the church anyway? 
Who knows? Who knows? Interesting. Who knows? Luckily, we don't have to make that decision. Certainly not. So anyway, so that's that's what our route will be on the Bald Explorer uh, group walk. Of course, you're very welcome to come along. Do check out the Bald Explorer group pages. Naturally, you can go and walk that walk yourself at any time. Yep. And Shoreham Fort, of course, is open to the public. Tell us about the openings um, and what events that you have coming up this year. Okay, well, we're open once a fortnight on a Sunday between 11 and 4. And, of course, we have the free guided tour at 2 o'clock, which you guys will be joining us on for that Sunday as well. Looking forward to that. Yeah, and then we have Easter Sunday Fun Day, which is coming up. So we have the egg and spoon races, sack races, all the stuff that you're not allowed to do at schools anymore. We're a Victorian fort. We live by Victorian rules. So come along and play those old games. And then the first complete weekend in June, we have our big annual military history weekend where we bring back the cannons and all the different soldiers of different eras so you can hear the place really make a bang. Fantastic. And you have a website, of course. Yeah, shorehamfort.co.uk. So check that out. Thank you, Gary. Thank you, Richard. Technology today has made filming so much easier. When I first started out, the equipment was large, heavy and cumbersome. You needed so much of it and it made filming in all sorts of locations very tricky. But now it's so much smaller and portable. Only the other day I was filming in Rackham in West Sussex, close to Parham House. I was there trying to find the old watermill, and on the way back I recorded some reflections about carrying the new lightweight equipment. It's a beautiful sunny day. It's Thursday as I make this recording, and I'm out and about in West Sussex, in Rackham, which is a small little hamlet, very close to Storrington, and Amberley between the two, just north of the South Downs. The sky is blue, absolutely blue, and the sun is shining, of course, and it's warming up. And I've been down out and about filming close to Rackham Rocks and then over to what I can only imagine is called the Rackham Watermill. It's no longer a watermill. It's in Rackham Ruin, in fact. Um, it's, it stands there isolated by a field next to a house which presumably owns it, I'm not sure, and in lee of the South Downs, as I say, surrounded by small streams and brooks with a lot of reeds, beautiful reeds growing all around. The joy of coming out and filming on a day like this cannot be overemphasized. It is terrific, although there is a, a bit of a chilly wind, which I'm hoping is not blowing too much on the microphone as I head back towards my car. One of the things that I wanted to talk about in this little insert is the joy of filming with my DSLR and filming lightweight. I use a combination of cameras when I'm making my videos. One is the DSLR, as I mentioned, and the other is the GoPro 7 and the GoPro 5 on a gimbal. The GoPro 7 is a fairly new purchase and I'm experimenting with that. The, the DSLR I bought halfway through last year. 
and I've been very impressed with the results. It's a relatively cheap camera. This means that I can get out and about quite easily. It's all quite portable. My little tripod is easily carryable as well, and everything just means that you can go hiking, walking, rambling, without too much bother setting these things up, film yourself, do a piece to camera, and move on. And that's so important in producing the quality videos that I'm trying to do. I'm just walking back here at the edge of the woodland area here at Rackham, back towards Rackham Rocks, and then I shall head a little bit north towards pa Parham House. I always used to call it Parham, but I believe it's Parham House, on the, I guess, the west gate, close to which is where I parked my car. And you can hear, I hope you can hear, the tweets of the birds. It's absolutely beautiful. So with this equipment this year, I'm hoping to do a hell of a lot more out and about videos in greater, greater quality, greater photography, with as much improvement as I can, but not just in West Sussex, in both, count, both sides of the county and beyond. Lots of plans, so watch this space. Now, I recently made a purchase and I'm very, very happy with it. I bought myself a new lens. Now, ordinarily, that may sound a bit dull and boring, but this is a prime lens. It goes on my DSLR camera. It's a small lens. It's a 24mm f2.8. Now, that may mean nothing to many people unless you're a photographer. It's a very slim lens. It's often known as a pancake lens because not that it's large and flat, but it is quite flat. And you stick it on the camera, it gives you a fixed focal length um, so it's, it is slightly different than having a zoom lens. You can't just zoom in and out. But because it is a prime lens, it really only has one piece of glass. Uh, many zoom lenses use a combination of glasses within that to magnify up the image. And each time you do that, unless it's an incredibly expensive lens, you are defocusing the picture, albeit very, very small, and potentially limiting the amount of light that you can get in. Because this is a single lens, it lets in more light and has a much sharper image. It also offers a narrower depth of field. Again, this is all technical speak, but basically what I'm saying is it's a really nice, simple lens to work with when out and about filming, particularly pointing the camera at myself and as I do those pieces to camera. It also should make the background just a little bit blurry so that I pop out, as it were, and stay in focus. It keeps the attention on the areas that I want to. It was about £125, I think, from memory, and it's lightweight, sits on my camera, which is fantastic, um, making the whole thing a lot easier and quicker to set up. I have a very lightweight tripod as well, which is useful, and so it means that I can be fast 
on the ground and sometimes you have to be relatively quickly and nipping in grabbing some footage nipping out and going on in that way so I'm very pleased with that there's uh, a number of lenses that I've got I've got a, a telephoto lens I've got a, a mid uh, range lens and a, a wide angle lens all of this kit it's quite expensive when you build it up like that but it's very useful for a whole load of different uh, situations when you're filming particularly the telephoto I mean it's not a huge telephoto lens but it does help when you're trying to take photographs to add into the video of perhaps some cattle or some deer or wildlife that's too far away to approach and that you can zoom in and get a reasonable shot and edit that in so that people can really understand what you're talking about so these are all necessary evils that you need uh, and I carry and because they're all relatively lightweight I carry them all in my bag so I'm very pleased with my little pancake lens this leads me on to the new style that I'm um, adopting now which is Unlike the gimbal style, which I've been using, which is the sort of floating camera that I hold on this gimbal, which keeps the camera steady and points at me or away from me as I walk about, uh, the locked off frame is it's a lot more involved, but it means I can get a whole load of different shots and hopefully up the pace, make it a bit more exciting, make it more dynamic. That's the theory anyway. And, of course, try and get more people to enjoy what I'm doing. I don't want to be too samey. So I'd be interested in your thoughts on how the new format is going. It does take time to develop a new format. You, you think you've got it and you'll do a number of them in the same way and then it'll adapt and it'll grow and it'll change. So even if you are looking at it now and think, oh, actually, they're all very samey, don't worry, they will change. And the old gimbal that I used to use in the walks, I'll still be using, particularly when I'm walking with other people and I'm doing interviews, like some of the ones where we go round churches or interesting monuments and that sort of thing. So there's more kit in the bag, which hopefully brings greater variety to the videos. Let's have a look at the book of the week. And this time, this is a book that somebody posted, and forgive me for not being able to remember immediately, on the Bald Explorer Facebook group. Somebody posted this book called The Man Who Planted Trees by Jean Giono. It's a slim volume with, let me have a look here, probably uh, 50 odd pages in it. And it's a very short story. It concerns a gentleman who is on a hike and comes across this lonesome character in the landscape who is planting trees. And really, it's the story of this stranger, this shepherd, who has sheep, and he's planting these trees where nothing else is growing. There's a barren landscape, and it's a, a very enchanting and optimistic in its outline. This guy is planting acorns and in time a whole forest of oak trees grow up and where there was no water suddenly there is water where there was no birds there is birds suddenly where there was no life there is life it's a beautiful little story short little story 
And it, the the copy of the book, I can't remember what it was. It was about six or seven pounds. I got it from Amazon and, and it came. There's some lovely wood carvings that go with it. And I would recommend it. It takes, I don't know, about 20 minutes, 30 minutes to read the book. Um, and you might think that's, um, you know, a bit much to spend for a very short story. I wanted to just read you a little bit on the back to give you a flavour of the story. Now, I'm not very good at pronunciation of... Um, different countries' names, so you're going to have to excuse me if I get those completely wrong. It says here, in his wonderful story of Elziard Bouffier, an imaginary yet wholly believable shepherd, Jean Guiono perhaps hoped to inspire a reforestation programme that would renew the whole earth. The story, both parable and manual, opposes the tree planter, the earth husband, to the makers of war. At the same time, it shows us all that is best in man's relationship with nature and his fellow man. For Giono, nature is a living force in which man can rediscover the depth and harmony he has lost in urban life. Michael McCurdy's beautiful woodcuts, which accompany the text, help to establish this book as a modern classic. Here's a little extract to give you an idea of the text. The shepherd went to fetch a small sack and poured out a heap of acorns on the table. He began to inspect them, one by one, with great concentration, separating the good from the bad. I smoked my pipe. I did offer to help him. He told me that it was his job. And in fact, seeing the care he devoted to the task, I did not insist. That was the whole of our conversation. When he had set aside a large enough pile of good acorns, he counted them out by tens, meanwhile eliminating the small ones or those which were slightly cracked. For now he examined them more closely. When he had thus selected one hundred perfect acorns he stopped and we went to bed so there we go a little extract from the man who planted trees by jean giono earlier today as i record the podcast i met up with matthew holdsworth mark english richard suggett and julia hartley we were having a meal not just to have a meal and have a bit of fun and break bread together we were having the meeting to discuss the bald explorer and where we see it going in 2019 now you might ask why were you all meeting up to discuss the bald explorer well those guys are actually part of something that we laughingly call the senior management team Really, what it is, is those guys have been so kind and helpful and they support me in making the videos by sharing the content to different Facebook groups, by coming on walks with me and appearing in the episodes and by basically giving me enough oomph to keep going. We met up near Rygate at a public house called the Skimmington Castle, if my memory serves me correctly, and we went through some of the figures that we were achieving last year at about this time. So we had about 200 views per video on YouTube last year. Now we were getting about 600 views on average to each video, 
which was a vast improvement. So that was good. We had about 2,000 subscribers on YouTube. Now we have about 4,350, something like that. So we've doubled that easily. So hopefully in the future, we're going to double these figures even more. The idea is to push people much more towards the patrons and patrons have been joining all the time and making donations which has enabled me to put petrol in the car and go further afield. Been talking to Mark English about another possible trip. We're looking at maybe the Isle of Wight, maybe down in deepest Cornwall or in the New Forest. The lovely Julia and I been thinking about taking a canal boat for a, a long weekend and charting our journey down those old industrial arteries of Britain and seeing how we get on with the locks and living on a houseboat. Well, that's about it for today's podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it. Do get in touch if you want to communicate. So send an email to richard at vobes.com. I will be only too thrilled to hear from you. So I will talk to you again in the next podcast. Thanks again and take care. Bye for now. Bye for now.